Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You want to understand this whippy market? Read some William Butler Yates, because this action is right out of the second coming. Google it. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. These days, conviction makes you feel like an idiot on almost an hourly basis. This morning, the futures were looking real good. Then stocks plummeted, the Dow sinking more than 500 points at its lowest ebb, before rebounding dramatically in the afternoon, with the Dow ultimately gaining 34 points. S&P advanced 0.18%. Get this, the Nasdaq climbed 0.74%, led by Apple. It was the biggest leader down early on. And it's not just the average. See it with individual stocks, too. I mean, this morning, my colleague David Faber broke the story that Qualcomm had won a preliminary injunction against Apple in an obscure provincial court in China. In response, Apple stock plunged from 168 to 164. Then on Scott Wapner's halftime report, all four panels, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, Joe Tarnova, and yours truly, said that Apple had hit an interesting level to buy. Actually, Josh talked about a candlestick pattern. I talked about how a stock, well, you shouldn't be uh, trading, you should own it. The other two guys, they said, no, listen, man, this is the level. Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened while we were talking about it? The stock turned on a dime. Buy, 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 buy. Rallying four bucks from its lows while the show was on. Now, I've scoured the wires. Nothing else happened during that period. Nothing. We just said we liked it in 20 minutes. This morning's whole decline had been erased. Ultimately, the stock finished up $1.11, completely ignoring the China ruling. Something that's pretty amazing, given that if the ruling had some teeth in it, sales, which have been lagging in China to begin with, could take a real hit. Still, even as the battle between Qualcomm and Apple is fluid and murky, that's a very high-end way to describe it, our bullish discussion discussion on a TV show, admittedly one I love, turned around the stock of the second-largest company on Earth. What does that say? You know what it means? I think it's a sign. It's a sign that jittery, insecure, underconfident traders will take their cue from 
anything. Don't get me wrong. Everyone on that panel is worth listening to. But the action here is a sign that the market's become way too mercurial for many people. In a way, Apple's the perfect metaphor for this moment. Think about this. At its peak on October 3rd, the stock traded at $233 with a trillion-dollar-plus market capitalization. Came down to $775 billion earlier today before finishing at $804 billion. Now, what happened on October 3rd? Let me think at the peak. Fed Chief Jerome Powell went off the reservation, started talking about how he might need to overshoot with his rate hikes, basically signaling that he was willing to wreck the economy and stamp out inflation, but it's so strong, who cares? In retrospect, the statement was such a confidence buster that October 3rd may have marked the peak of the entire business cycle. Then the next day, Vice President Pence gave a fiery speech at the Hudson Institute where he framed the trade war as a way to contain Chinese geopolitical ambitions. Nothing to do with tariffs or money, just about stopping China. If you didn't know any better, you would have thought that he was talking about the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. Between Powell's comments and Pence's speech, Apple stock got hit with a one-two punch that, frankly, until today, I don't think it was going to recover from. I mean, really? Until today? When we talked about it, uh, I have to... Even though the company reported a darn good quarter at the beginning of November, it hasn't been able to get much traction. Why? Because Apple also told us it was no longer going to break out the number of iPhones it sells every quarter. Bears told you that was a bad sign. And, well, frankly, I'm not going to ignore it. They were right. The stock got crushed. The stock continued to fall as we got reports of pushbacks and cancellations from many of the big component players for Apple. What's the problem? We don't even know. Maybe the phone's got too expensive. Maybe there's a slowdown in China. Perhaps the Chinese government wants to make an example of Apple as part of a trade war. Maybe the PRC dialed up a court victory in favor of Qualcomm against Apple. Communist Party does control the court system there. The result is very hard to have conviction in Apple when there's so much uncertainty. And the only thing we know for sure is that the company's not going to disclose the number of iPhones it sells. I'm even hearing people fret that Apple may pre-announce to the downside because the previous guidance was too bullish. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. But I can tell you this. Apple makes the finest consumer products in history. Their devices are all part of a fabulous ecosystem. And thanks to that ecosystem, Apple now is a huge service revenue stream. I know I pay for it. You probably do, too. Even if iPhone sales stall, they've got an installed base of maybe 1.3 billion users. uh, And those people will keep buying apps and Apple Music subscriptions and all the other stuff. Right now, Apple sells, the stock sells at a dramatic discount to the averages that are in the the S&P 500. Let's call it 12 times, okay? Let's call it 12 times forward earnings. Much lower than the average stock. Analysts after analysts slash their price targets. But it's hard for anyone to have conviction when there's so much negativity. Where else? What else is like Apple? Okay, I'll give you one. The upcoming Federal Reserve, it's not a stock. The upcoming Federal Reserve meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. If you have conviction about the outcome of that session, I think you may end up getting faked out. Consider all the permutations here. Two months ago, Jay Powell told us to expect four more lockstep rate hikes because the economy was so strong. Since then, housing has continued to fall off a cliff thanks to rising mortgage rates. Auto sales continue to slow. Electricity uses come down. Commercial real estate cooled. Loan losses at regional banks began to climb. And, of course, the stock market has shed trillions of dollars in wealth. Granted, Powell walked back his comments. Most recently, he seemed to indicate maybe we only need one rate hike. But why does he say this stuff? Why does he make his life so difficult? Even last week's labor non-farm payroll report was a clear miss. Remember, wage inflation caused by full employment is the whole reason why the Fed wants to tighten. Take that away. There's really no reason to raise rates. At the same time, raw costs have plummeted thanks to the plunge in oil prices. Even OPEC's call for a supply cut hasn't been able to staunch the decline. Who knows where that thing's going? Oil going down as a, one, as a twofold impact on the economy cools the hottest job market in Texas and puts more money in the pockets of consumers. Of course, 
the whole inflationary chain can be stamped. Can, in one way or another, can be traced back to oil, except for when it comes to not having enough people to work. Put it all together, and this would be the perfect time for the Fed to say, you know what, we don't need to raise rates. Let's wait to see what happens. We'll reassess at the January meeting on Merry Christmas. Now, if you're looking at just the data, that's the obvious thing the Fed should do. However, there's much more to this. There's psyche. There's just these ethereal issues. Because Powell's been so sanguine about the economy and so adamant about this next rate hike, investors will freak out if he doesn't tighten. People will take it as a sign that there must be something really seriously wrong with the economy. Lurking, lurking, lurking. So either the Fed gives us an unnecessary rate hike that could do real damage, or they cause a panic that could do real damage. It's a lose-lose scenario. So it's hard to tell what Powell will really do. And that's just the biggest issue that's testing our conviction. There are plenty of smaller niggling ones. Seems like not a day goes by without some new revelation from the Russian probe uh, that President Trump may have been involved in something this nefarious, uh, unsavory. Not a day goes by where we have a clue what's happened to the trade war with China. Hey, remember when uh, Larry Kudlow said it's it's a soft, uh, it could be extended, and then this weekend we heard from Lighthizer, no extension, Lighthizer, eat Trump's uh, Kudlow. Now, the very same day Trump, when he was all smiles with President Xi when he was down in Argentina, our government spur, uh, spurred the Canadian authorities to arrest the CFO of Huawei. It's one of the largest companies people in public for violating our sanctions on Iran. We have no idea how that's going to play out. If the market keeps going down, will our government release her and make nice with the Chinese? Or will President Trump stick to the more bellicose game plan? Bottom line, almost every issue has two sides right now, except those with three or four or five. In this kind of environment, it's no wonder the market's unreliable. No wonder that it's treacherous, and there's no telling when it'll improve. Till then, you need ice water in your veins to navigate your way through this thicket, although we know you can't live long without some blood coursing through them. Yassine in New York! Yassine! Jim, how are you? Man, I couldn't be better. How about you? I'm very good. Jim, I just have a quick question for you. With what's going on with the volatility in the market, uh, it's very disturbing which sector do you think is the best sector to be currently invested in? I think healthcare works. I saw uh, now healthcare, when the market turned around today, healthcare started selling off, and that's fine. Uh, I think that healthcare is recession resistant, and we have a lot of great uh, uh, health insurers that I really like, and a lot of great drug companies, and those are the ones that I think are really, really good. Otherwise, you can refer to some of the stocks. We put out a bunch of stocks in uh, the last few shows of what works, of which the uh, archetype is McDonald's. How about Tom in New York? Tom. Jim, how are you today? I'm not bad. How are you? Well, I own Ulta and HOME, so that's enough said, right? Yeah, it really is enough said. (laughs) All right, listen, I was wondering, how do we know if we're pigs waiting to be slaughtered or if we're smart investors going for a 700% ride with the likes of NVIDIA? Okay, that's a great question. And so what I like to do is always split the difference. I think that you do some investing that's just index fund. And then with your mad money, you do it, you look for the NVIDIAs. And I think a lot of the people who like index funds never, ever are willing to think that you could find an NVIDIA. But you, sir, obviously are looking. I encourage people to look. I encourage people to do homework. I encourage people to split the difference. Put the, the bulk of your money in index funds. And then find some mad money stocks like NVIDIA. And then you won't be greedy because, well, they're only a small part of your portfolio. But that's like how they could end up being a bigger part of your portfolio if you get them right. Conviction is being tested all around on everything from stocks to the Fed to China. 
With no end in sight to the uncertainty, don't be surprised if this unreliable market continues to take us for a wild ride. Well, man, money tonight, Splunk was in a funk over the past couple of months. But have the clouds cleared after its latest quarter? I'm talking to the CEO. Then, while the market was melting down on Friday, you may have missed the biggest biotech IPO ever. I'll tell you if it's worth considering. You'll like the answer. And there's been plenty of talk about the health of the tech sector as of late. Tonight, I'm taking the temperature of the group with the CEO of one of the most important companies in terms of finding out how tech is doing, and it's called Tech Data. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. What stocks manage to thrive in today's topsy-turvy session? How about Kramer fave Splunk? The cloud king that helps businesses use analytic software to get the most out of their machine data. This stock has had a dramatic turnaround like nearly all of the cloud plays. When the market started breaking down in October, Splunk was one of the worst performers as investors rushed to sell their high-flying momentum stocks with big gains. The damage was so extensive that we started hearing chatter about a possible slowdown in all things cloud-related, even as there was no data other than the plummeting stock prices to go along with that. Then Fed Chief Jerome Powell reversed some of his most hawkish statements about the need to aggressively raise interest rates not long after the cloud kings, including Splunk, reported some truly spectacular earnings and their stocks caught fire. Splunk in particular posted amazing numbers. Uh, it was just a week and a half ago, 40% revenue growth, 40, and nearly 50% subscription revenue growth. Stocks surged from 101 to 111. Now it's pulled back to 108 as of today. I think you could have a lot more upside. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Doug Merritt, the president and CEO of Splunk, who also wears proudly, as we do, our Splunk Big Data Booyah shirts. Mr. Merritt, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Thank you, Jim. Very, very happy to be here. Oh, Doug, I got to tell you, so proud of you. I mean, this was a major acceleration, 40%. I, I, I need you to tell people, you're not a $500 million company. You're not a $800 million. <laughs> You are a big company. That kind of growth I have not seen of any big company this quarter. Yeah, we, uh, we focus hard on customer and customer success. And uh, we've talked about that every time I've been on the, on the show. Uh, big data is everywhere. People need to figure out how to take advantage of it so they can actually guide their company's decisions and keep themselves secure. And, uh, you know, we were thrilled to see the, the overall revenue numbers. And uh, while the 40% revenue growth was phenomenal, the almost 50% software revenue growth uh, is something I'm equally excited about, that we've got a complex model with uh, on-prem and cloud revenue. And this is our cut-through metrics that people can really understand the health of the business. So it was a, it was a great quarter, but it's because of uh, customers voting with, uh, with their favoritism towards Splunk. All right, well, there are two customers we have very close relationships with on the show that you actually pointed out, uh, Starbucks and Carnival. Now, we think that both these companies are so technologically strong, it made me realize that Splunk may be behind some of, the, of their prowess. Uh, you know, we, we, we do everything we can behind the scenes. I look at us as the BASF of software. We try and make every company that uses us a little bit better uh, in what they do. And, and we were on, on, honored to have Arnold Donner, Donald from Carnival, their CEO, that's just been a, done a spectacular job at the helm there. Uh, actually joined me on stage at our user conference in Orlando just a few months ago and talk about how they're using Splunk uh, in every aspect of the business, including the customer experience uh, on ship and off ship. Uh, to keep the data secure, to make sure that they're uh, able to understand way, how to get most value from Carnival. So uh, anything we can do to help any of our customers in their journey to become more data-driven and more outcome-driven uh, is, is something that we're proud of every single day. Well, Doug, I think you had a, a, just a little bit more on that. Uh, your company pre- is so helpful in predicting from data. When you're in Carnival, they got to know what people might want that moment. When you're Starbucks, they need to know whether their new drink is going to work. You somehow are able to allow them to ask questions to a database verbally and get answers. Yeah, that's some of the, the exciting announcements we had at, at our user conference um, were on how to bring the power of Splunk to everybody within the organization, including this natural language interface to Splunk, so that you can now talk to Splunk through Alexa, Siri, or other natural language frameworks and, and have Splunk respond back to you. Um, but we also introduced things that people wouldn't always expect with Splunk. We've got a whole next-gen mobile platform that has an augmented reality framework on top uh, so that customers like University of Connecticut in their aquaponics lab where they grow fish can now use their mobile devices and walk through the lab to check things like UV light, pH, and, and balance uh, to make sure that their businesses are being run well as, and effectively using Splunk. By no means do I want to slide an incredibly important business, which is your security business, which, of course, is part and parcel uh, with what we're talking about. But just describe to people how you've been able to really kind of you get people one uh, bit of your business and then they want and, are, and really are drawn to your security uh, formulas. Yeah, the, what, what we see in every department, and security is at the forefront of everything right now because we're all 
going to the cloud, we're all going digital, and that means everything is now accessible through our IT infrastructure, and we've got to protect those assets. Um, and what we've been able to do for our security users within organizations is the same thing we do for other departments. Give them a unified technical capability that starts with asking any question of the data with our investigative data lake, um, but then marrying that with effective monitoring, detection, and alerting so that you know what questions to ask when you want to do any type of root cause, and then also coupling the monitoring piece with predictive analytics. Um, so, and I think the power of, of all three technologies coming together are, is really unique for our customers. Can you tell us what, how uh, industrial asset intelligence works? Yeah, it's, uh, if you think about the security use case, we've got a security operations center. Manufacturing floors have got a manufacturing operations center. Really similar uh, high-level constructs, but the questions manufacturing tends to ask are all around the health of their shop floors, including things like, how do I get in front of any type of maintenance issues, given that you know, age-old maxim that seconds or minutes down on a floor can be millions or tens of millions of dollars of revenue. So the Industrial Asset Intelligence app is another set of frameworks on top of the underlying Splunk Enterprise platform that helps manufacturers with all those tasks, including helping them get in front of any predictive maintenance issues they might be facing. All right, one last question is kind of a variant of one that was asked in your most recent conference call. Uh, you're a $2 billion revenue company. Some people feel that how are you ever going to get to be like Salesforce at 20 or Workday? You, know, you go to five, then seven. Do you need another act? And, and your answer is basically security and your analytics really could get you to where these other companies are. You don't need another act. Well, the, the acts that we keep working on are how do you expand the breadth and depth of this data analytics platform to power make it easier and easier to power more use cases. The use cases that we lead with, given that these are completely digital landscapes, tend to be much more security, application development, and IT operations driven. Um, when I look at the data that those three entities need across even the top 50,000 organizations globally to do their job, that's a lot of market share for Splunk to go after. But the true power, as we've talked about before, Jim, is you get that data through Splunk to serve those use cases. That's a huge chunk of the data that you need to go power these other use cases, customer sentiment analysis or predictive maintenance on manufacturing floor or uh, other more line of business centric use cases. Well, look, I want to congratulate you. Uh, strongest uh, strongest quarter of any of the big cap ones and, set, and strongest of the cloud kings. Thank you so much, Doug Merge, President and CEO of Splunk. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Honor to be here. Guys, uh, what can I say? I got to give these guys, Splunk, a big data booyah. They deserve it. Plus 40%, almost 50% revenue growth for software. Wow. Doug Merge doing a great job. Stay with me. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more 
visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Something happened on Friday while the market was melting down. That you may have missed entirely. We got one of the most anticipated biotech IPOs of the year. I'm talking about Moderna. The symbol here is MRNA for all you home gamers. Came public with a $7.5 billion valuation and also a lot of help, a lot of hype. A lot of help from the street, a lot of hype also from the street. But man, they really could not have picked the worst day to bring this darn thing public. As the averages collapsed, Moderna stock got slammed, too, ultimately plummeting nearly 20% from the IPO price. A month ago, you would have thought this thing was going to go to a huge premium. Normally, when a company comes public and stock immediately goes into free fall, that is not a good sign. But this is not a normal situation. See, nobody was in the mood to pick at a speculative biotech on Friday when nearly everything was getting hammered. So does that mean you're getting a great buying opportunity here? Well, tonight we're playing Know Your IPO because I think this Moderna story is intriguing. Even as that doesn't necessarily mean the stock is worth buying here, unless you, know, you want to do a little speculation. But if you're worried about an economic slowdown, this is the kind of biotech that could potentially thrive in a recession because, well, the numbers have nothing to do with the GDP growth or global commerce. So what exactly does this Moderna do? This is an early stage biotech company with a revolutionary concept. Moderna's trying to create a whole new category of medicines based on something called messenger R-N-A. For those of you who don't remember biology class, nearly all of your cells have a core of DNA, which is like the blueprint for making, uh, for marking everything in your, in your body, okay? Messenger RNA takes the plans in that blueprint and then tells your cells what to do with it. Plans in blueprint and tells your cells what to do with it. That's where Moderna's platform comes in. They engineer messenger RNA that hijacks your cells and tells them to start producing different proteins. So if you have, let's say, a rare genetic disease, Moderna can theoretically correct that just by giving your cells the right instructions. Isn't this incredible? Why is it so important? Okay, there's a whole category of drugs based on recombinant protein technology. Basically, pharmaceutical companies synthesize proteins in a lab. It's a $200 billion business. But your body is much, 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 much more efficient at making this stuff. And there are still all sorts of things that we don't know how to synthesize. So being able to reprogram a patient's cells to make whatever's needed could be a huge step forward. This is revolutionary, people. And Moderna is trying to make the most of it. They've got 21 different development programs with 10 of those uh, therapies in clinical trials. Moderna's attempting to treat everything from infectious diseases to cancer to cardiovascular diseases and rare genetic disorders. In theory, the possibilities are nearly endless. However, this is still a very early stage story as their most advanced clinical trial is in phase two. Remember, you got to go through phase three. Uh, this means that thing, anything is years away from FDA approval. The drug is a treatment for of the one that's advanced in phase two, myocardial ischemia, or reduced blood flow to the heart caused by a blocked artery. Unfortunately, common. See, rather than unclog the artery via surgery, They want to turbocharge your body's ability to create new blood vessels. Again, though, it's only in in, uh, phase two, but it's almost like fantastic voyage. I mean, it's so exciting to me that if I were 21, 22, I got to tell you, maybe I'd put some of this one away, even if it's 100 shares. 
But on the other hand, the industry clearly believes the technology is worth betting on now. Moderna has some major partnerships. Listen to this list. They're working with Merck and AstraZeneca, among others, because these companies understand the potential of messenger RNA-based medicine. Of course, Moderna isn't the first biotech that's had the idea. Remember we used to have on Ionis Pharmaceuticals? They've got a platform that does a similar thing. So what sets Moderna apart from the others? It's all about delivery technologies and manufacturing. Once they whip up an mRNA cocktail, that cocktail needs to get into your cells to do its work. But if it runs into your immune system along the way, it can get degraded. So the companies developed their own delivery technology to make sure they can actually deliver their mRNA therapies to their intended destination in your body. Plus, the company's working on scalable manufacturing so that they can pump out these messenger RNA-based treatments once they get FDA approval. Although, again, many years down the line. So how do they make money? It's in milestone payments. Remember, Moderna has all these partnerships where larger companies are giving them funding to develop various drugs to harness the power of this messenger RNA technology. AstraZeneca, Merck, Vertex Pharma, one of our favorites. Even DARPA is doing it. That's the research division of the Defense Department. In fact, AstraZeneca likes the story so much that they're Moderna's fourth largest shareholder. They own roughly 8% of the company. Moderna is also working with Merck on a pair of vaccines for viruses like RSV and VZV. The former is about to go into phase two clinical trials. Perhaps more important, they're also helping Merck with its anti-cancer vaccines that help your body's immune system target tumor cells. And you know these anti-cancer vaccines are really a fabulous frontier. How about the financials? They don't tell you very much because Moderna has nothing to sell. The partners give them milestone payments when the drugs they're working on hit certain thresholds. At the same time, the company's spending a fortune on R&D because, well, they're in the R&D business. Fortunately, because Moderna's been able to raise cash so easily in private markets because it's considered to be such a superior company, the balance sheet is incredibly clean. And thanks to the IPO, they now have $1.8 billion in cash. That's going to set them up for a while. Unfortunately, they're probably going to need it because nothing's going to come to market for a while. Now, remember, this was a much heralded biotech deal, but because of the poor timing, the stock plummeted right out of the gate when it came public just Friday. So has it become cheap here? I know you want to ask that question. At the time of the IPO, Moderna had a $7.5 billion valuation. Now it's a $6.2 billion valuation. But honestly, with no sales and no earnings, there's not a good way to value the stock. Early stage biotechs like this one don't trade on the numbers. They trade on belief. If people believe Moderna's platform can work, that their mRNA technology can lead to a host of successful drugs, then the stock could roar higher. If people don't believe, the stock will have trouble gaining traction. So how do you play a stock that trades on belief? All right, in about a month, Moderna's quiet period ends, and the analysts will start rolling out their coverage. If they tell a bullish story, and I think they probably will, the stock can rally. At the end of the day, though, development stage biotech stories are inherently speculative, and purely a speculation, Moderna has a few major things going for it. It's recession-proof at a time when many investors are now worried about a slowdown. It's got an exciting concept. You can argue that messenger RNA-based medicine could revolutionize healthcare, And the stock has pulled back dramatically in the short time since it's been bubbling like two days. Here's the bottom line. These speculative biotechs are a lot like Giancarlo's Sten when he steps up to the plate. He's like to either strike out or hit a home run. So if you're trying to save for retirement, Moderna is not the stock for you. However, if you want to take a chance with a speculative mad money portfolio, you have got my blessing to buy this one. Uh, I know it could probably still go lower, but you're getting a pretty darn good entry point if the market stays as volatile. And I like this company. John in California, John. Hey, Jim, boy, you from out here in Sacramento, you know, uh, hey, a special place in our heart for us out here. Oh, man, how you been? I've been good. Hey, happy holidays. I wanted to ask you before the end of the year one more time about 
I'm long on Gilead. I'm still hanging on to you. Do you think there's light at the end of the tunnel for that thing? Well, I've got to tell you, John, the person that they got as the new CEO is terrific. Uh, and, you know, uh, the guy came from, uh, his name's O'Day, he came from Roche. The stock was up initially, then the market got hit, and then the stock was down badly. Don't take a cue from the stock. This man's a good executive. I think that this was a great hire, and I think that it's probably, you know, I'm not going to say it's done going down. It's a really hard thing because uh, this stock's been terrible, but I would certainly not sell it here. How about that? Richard in Connecticut. Richard. Richard. Ah, booyah, Jim, from Fairfield, Connecticut. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Long-time viewer. First-time caller. Since I just retired, I'm enjoying investing in this crazy market. Here's my question. Doubled my money on ARRY and recently added to it. Hold or sell, Jim. And go Eagles. Merry Christmas. Well, thank you for the comments about the Eagles. They, they may not be going anywhere. Um, I'll tell you how I feel about this one. I think you've got uh, – this is a, a situation where they discover it, uh, drugs. I like it. It's speculative. You sound like you're having a great time with investing. I know people don't like to hear this, but I bless you having a great time investing because you do your homework. And I think that you could end up doing well by holding the stock. I would not buy any more right here. All right, early stage biotechs like Moderna are inherently speculative. So if you're looking for steady Eddie, then move right along. But if it's a spec play you're in the market for, I don't mind you buying Moderna. I think it could work. Although I do think this one could even go lower if we have this crazy volatility still. But it's one bad money in. If you're looking to get the real pulse in the overall market, well, the tech market, then there are a few companies like Tech Data. I don't think anyone knows as much as they do. And I'm talking with the CEO. Then there's a vanishing act happening in the market, and it's causing the recent volatility. I'm talking about the disappearance of the common stock buyer. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I know it's not fake news, but it's problematic. If it was our country, Trump would be tweeting about that judge. Get rid of that. Oh, yeah, he would be saying, yeah. issuing all those injunctions. Tariff man. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. possible worldwide slowdown. What happens to tech stocks? Now, we know the cloud players are doing just fine, as the cloud is part of a huge secular trend that will keep working even in a weaker economy. But what about the more basic stuff, the nuts and bolts of technology? How's that holding up? Whenever I want to read on the sector, I like to catch up with companies like Tech Data, TECD for you home gamers, a terrific company, largest wholesale distributor of uh, technology, products, services, and solutions on Earth. Think of tech data as kind of a supermarket of technology or as an arms dealer, especially the small to uh, small and medium-sized businesses, perhaps the best pulse on information technology spending there is. Less than two weeks ago, tech data reported a breathtaking quarter. We're talking spectacularly better than expected numbers. Excluding one-time items, the company delivered a monster 38-cent earnings beat off a $2.17 basis, much higher than expected revenue up 11% year-over-year. And that strength was consistent worldwide. On a constant currency basis, every region was up 12 to 14 percent. Best of all, tech data gave us some incredibly bullish guidance for next quarter. That's why the stock pulled water from 73 to 89 in a single session. However, there's still an enormous amount of skepticism about the tech sector, which is why the stock sells for less than eight times earnings. So what do we make of these numbers? Let's take a close look with Rich Hume. He's the CEO of Tech Data. Learn more about how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Hume, welcome to Mad Money. Great to see you, sir. 
Have a seat. Me on the show. Okay, earlier, earlier. Well, thank you. We had, we had Doug Murray on from Splunk. They reported an amazing quarter. One of the many cloud companies that are doing great. You, you yourself have a cloud division. Don't want to get to that yet because what I need you to tell people in a time of very little confidence about tech spending, you have three regions. All three were much better than expected. Yeah, Jim. What I have to tell you is, uh, I think it's been an incredible year for the tech sector. Yeah. It's been strong all year, and as you said, all three regions performed well. But as importantly, when we take a look at the product segments, all of the product segments, all of the big product segments had quite good growth. So we see strength across the board uh, in 2018. Now, I want people to understand that you're just you're looking at your data. I mean, at one point you said in your comms call, if anyone even knew that we could do this level versus what we thought a year ago, we'd be jumping up and down. I think that there's some sort of shroud, some gloom. And I don't get it versus the percentages that you have Europe, Asia, the Americas. Yeah, I think that, again, uh, it's strong all over. And if you take a look at the guidance that we've uh, provided for the coming quarter, the midpoint of our guidance is 7% growth. So we would anticipate that the strength will continue, at least uh, as we look over the next 90 days. All right. And, and your worldwide partners, you've uh, three of your vendors you talk about, 10% or more of your net sales, Apple 17, HP 11, Cisco 10. You're, you're a good representation there of things. All, all, all very good representation. And then you could, the list goes on. We have the, the best names in tech. And we've got great relationships with them, and we've got a great customer base that we are able to deliver all that technology to. Uh, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You've made a big acquisition, but now you're starting to reap the benefits, cash flow gains, and you're putting it right to work. Yeah, we've always been a, a company that generated really strong cash flow. And uh, actually, we had uh, acquired and finalized that acquisition maybe 20 months ago. Right. We paid down the debt uh, well in advance of the schedule that we provided. And uh, we actually just announced a a share repurchase in October uh, to the tune of $200 million. So we're making sure that our money's working for our shareholders. And you bought a lot of stock at 70, which is pretty good buy. Yeah, that's right. So it's uh, it was you know the the the, the market is uh, quite strong, and although there's some cycles, there there are some really good opportunities. Now you've got a very expanding cloud business, so you give us a read on that too. Yeah. So you know if you look into the future. Clearly, hybrid uh, cloud is the, the mode uh, of the future. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be strength, I think, uh, in both uh, the physical and the virtual, but the virtual will grow a lot faster. This past quarter, our cloud business grew at uh, 38%, nearing a billion dollars. And we see that strong trend for, you know, the uh, public cloud side continuing. So you would have a good read on, on Amazon Web Services, on IBM's cloud, and on Azure, Microsoft. Yes, we represent all three um, uh, and then some. So right. uh, we see great opportunities. And not only we, but they are investing very heavily in the business partner ecosystem moving into the future. They see great opportunity to use the business partner channel and distribution to accelerate their business. TechData has always been a great acquirer of companies. You've been buying some. Is it possible that you've maxed out or there's still some guys that you want to buy? Look, I think when we look into the future, we're very interested in higher value uh, technology right. right now. And there's always opportunities. We always have interest in engaging and looking for um, the right the right alignment with our right. business. And, you know, we, we're very um, disciplined in the way we think about using our cash and we think about the you know, the three primary paradigms, uh, be it uh, share repurchase, mm-hmm. be it, um, you know, acquisition or be it organic investment. How, how is the balance sheet now after the $100 million debt you bought back? This balance week? sheet is in great shape. Actually, our, our debt to equity is uh, right where we think it should be positioned, right. but it puts us in a spot where 
we can use all three of those levers now going forward. We have quite a bit of cash on the balance sheet. We're, as you said earlier, we're generating great cash flow. And we feel really good about, uh, you know, the strength of our balance sheet moving forward. See, I struggle with the, uh, the price earnings multiple of eight times, given the fact that you guys have a lot of double-digit growth and given the fact you're now riding a lot of the great secular trends, less boom bust. But I guess all you can do is keep buying back stock and putting up the numbers. There's not much else, right? Hey, we, we love to put up the numbers. We like to stay disciplined. We like to generate cash. We like to drive uh, earnings uh, growth for our shareholder. And, you know, we, we would characterize ourselves as being humble but hungry. Well, let's leave it at that, because I think that's a great way to be. Okay, that's Rich Hume, CEO of Tech Data. This stock's too cheap. I don't get it. Man, money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That is over the lightning round. Crazy money. I'm going to start with Michael in Florida. Michael. Uh, Jim, thank you for taking my call. Quite welcome. Hey, I'm uh, calling about Zuora, Z-U-O. Uh, the stock is down uh, about 45% since August. And for the last couple of months, it's traded in a range of between 18 and 20. And I want to know if you see any particular problems with the company that are holding down the stock no, price. No, Teen delivered a good number. He did. It was a good number. It's just that this stock is just violently out of favor. This is when you put a stock like Zora away. I believe in the subscription economy. I believe in what, in what Teen Zoo's doing. You, everybody kind of uses them without even knowing it. It's a good stock in a bad market. Let's go to Bud in Ohio. Bud! Booyah, Ski Daddy. This oh, is yeah. your longtime, longtime fan, Bud, in beautiful Akron, Ohio. Thank you for taking my call. Okay, it's good to have you on the show. Thank you. I believe I have identified a very positive catalyst for a stock that you know well, and I'd like to run my thesis by you. Absolutely. That's how I'm, off, I'm all ears. Cool. First off, I agree with you that there will not be an economic recession in 2019. I also believe that for a variety of reasons, a large number of working people never adjusted the tax withholding to account for the 2018 tax cuts. Okay. Those people are go- those people are going to be in for a very pleasant surprise when they find they are getting larger than usual refund checks just in time okay. for spring. Okay. So what are they going to do with those refund checks? Will it be a good ca- catalyst for Home Depot? Oh, for a remodel and uh, restoration and renovation, I think it will be. But Lowe's speaks on Wednesday. Uh, and what we have to do is we have to wait. Now, Home Depot, a remarkable turnaround today. There's so many other stocks. But Lowe's, when we hear what Marvin Ellis has to say, that's going to control the situation. I do like Home Depot, but you cannot believe it's going to turn tomorrow. Ed in New York, Ed. Who we are, Jim. It's Ed from New Hamburg, New York. All right. Uh, I just became the Street Quant Ratings member. Oh, good. Yeah, that stuff is just straight-out cash flow. I really love the rigor of it. How can I help? Uh, my stock is AMD Advanced Micro I Devices. I think that Alicia Sue's done a remarkable job. This stock, this stock has paid its dues. It's time to get out of the wilderness. I think the next quarter is going to be better than the previous one. Let's go to Ace in New Jersey. Ace. Booyah. Hey, Jim. You're Yo. my most valuable asset. My stock is Axon Enterprise. Do you think Axon is overvalued based on earnings compared no, to the No, I mean, uh, look, I like that. Uh, yeah, it's got a pretty good compensation package. Stocks come down on a, a great deal. I think it's a good ecosystem. I think it's a platform. I like it. It's a, uh, look, it's a little speculative, absolutely, but it's good. We've liked it from way low. Let's go to Norman, Nebraska. Norm. Good afternoon, Jim. Great to talk to you. Oh, what's your Norm. opinion? Oh, yeah. What's your opinion on Principal Financial Group? Fifty-two week low. 
5% yield. I don't know when these financials are going to be done going down. If you tell me that that company, has, it's an accidental high yielder. Thank you, Matt Horwin, for putting that in my head. 5% is where you buy some, and then it goes to 5 and a half and you buy more. We have to start buying these accidental high yielders with good balance sheets. It'll pay off. Rachel in Florida. Rachel. Hi, Jim. Rachel. Uh, here is my question. Should I invest in GE stock General Electric? Do you think those shares are undervalued? Thanks for your answer. Okay, Rachel, here's my, my thinking. There are so many really unbelievable stocks that are undervalued right now. I don't want to take the risk. Now, $6, you could say, well, Jim, come on, it's only 6 bucks." Well, I don't know. I mean, remember, that when it goes down, it still hurts. So uh, you can speculate in G, but there's so many high-quality companies that are going down. I'd rather you be in a really high-quality company that sells at a much cheaper price earnings multiple. Let's go to Brian in Louisiana. Brian. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, let me give you a New Orleans Saints who that booyah from the Big Easy. What's I'm playing against the guy with Camara next week, I think. But go ahead. What's up? Hey, uh, what's your thoughts on Cisco Systems? I think Cisco Systems is, is the cheapest large-cap uh, tech stock there is in the market right now. I think that uh, that Robbins, uh, Chuck's doing a fantastic job. I said the same on uh, halftime today. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. After today's roller coaster session, it's feeling more and more like this market is just broken. And it's broken in both directions because the volume is so darn thin either way. The average is opening too high again, no reason. Who are these buyers of the futures who come in on quicksand as the futures had indicated a sharply down opening at 4 a.m.? Who are the people who feel compelled to buy when stocks are running and sell when stocks are sinking? Then if you're getting slammed, the whole market turns on a dime and rebounds so everyone who sold at a low looks like a clown. Even at a time of year when we typically have very low volume, this action is ridiculous. Big capitalization stocks are plummeting on nothing and not to the right equilibrium level that they used to. Just look at FedEx. On Friday, a very important executive at the company, David Cunningham, 57 years old, guy who ran FedEx Express, retired, effective year-end. I mean, that news is pretty shocking as we're at the height of the holiday season when FedEx is at its busiest. It's not a good sign for the quarter. Then this morning, because of that personnel change, analysts at Bank of America Merrill Lynch downgraded the stock from buy to neutral. It got hammered. So it makes sense that the stock opened lower. But what mystified me is that FedEx was down four and a half bucks this morning on less than 200,000 shares. I would have expected something closer to two million shares. Put this in perspective. In the old days, the stock would have been halted for news. There would be an order imbalance, and it wouldn't trade into a real level, an equilibrium level, at least for that moment, was established with lots of volume, one that represented the collective buying and selling power of this tape. Instead, there's some weird dynamic that takes a $50 billion stock down on nothing, and then proceeds to dribble it even lower again. Until it got down to 12 bucks, yeah, it was down 12 bucks, they found out real volume. The lack of volume tells you everything you need to know. There simply aren't a lot of individual buyers and sellers here. That means pricing is often irrational or driven by fast trading ETFs. Now, I can almost hear the critics say, oh, Kramer, that's all well and good, but where the heck were you when stocks were roaring on thin volume? And the answer was I was right here. I've been complaining about this stuff for ages. I didn't like it when the averages rallied in week volume this morning. The problem here is that not, is, is not that a thinly traded market can cause huge losses. That's not the problem. It's that these moves cannot be trusted up or down. Let me put it this way. Every Tuesday we go off the charts and I'll often tell you that a volume is like a polygraph. High volume means the volume is telling you the truth. Low volume means it's probably lying. So a market like this is inherently treacherous. 
It's a liar's market. Unfortunately, this is not the this is the new dynamic. We're stuck with this, at least maybe until after the holidays. And there's not much we can do about it. You can't make up players. You can't suddenly demand people step up and buy. Right now, what we have, what we seem to have, at least, are index fund buyers of stocks. That's just regular money coming over the transom. Corporate buyers against ETF sellers and regular sellers. While individual buyers of common stock made an appearance this afternoon as the averages rebounded, they didn't come out in very large numbers. I think these buyers have been abused and discouraged and need the protection of the SEC because I think they're being fleeced and driven out of the greatest wealth creator known to man. Worse, the actively managed funds that try to pick individual stocks are losing assets here, so they're in withdrawal mode. That's what's behind the real volatility. That's what's behind it, okay? That's behind the volatility. That's behind the ridiculous exaggeration of every move of this market, up, both up and down. I don't expect anything to change until we get a thorough investigation by the SEC about how this is all happening and what's a better way to run a market that's fair and balanced for you to invest in. Stick with Chris. Here's the point. The market's treacherous both up and down, not just down, okay? It doesn't matter what direction it's going. It's just plain treacherous. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.